What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Fudge Mop, but this is the Elder Scrolls Podcast. I'm Scott, here with Michael and Drew, as always, and today we are discussing High King Wolfarth, also known as Izmir Wolfarth, Dragon of the North, Breath of Kind, Shaw's Tongue, the Grey Wind, the Storm of Kind, the Kingmaker, the Ash King, and possibly the Underking. We'll get into all of his many names and where he got them from, but uh, I reckon we should start with the most basic stuff, so, like, who is Izmir Wolfarth in the beginning? A king from Atmora. Yeah. Mm, essentially. Came to ancient Skyrim um, and he was basically all about the Nordic pantheon. And he wanted to reinstall it because Elysia um, had kind of ruined it for him and everyone well, was following the Elysian ways. Yeah. Let's be honest, this this will all come back to Shaw. You know, that we, we've talked about before that... Um, one of the big things Alicia did when she made her eight divines pantheon to try and make it so that Nords and Elves could live side by side. The key, one of the key elements of doing that was kind of brushing Shaw under the rug. And traditional Nords aren't big fans of doing that. Um, as we're going to see through Wolfarth's whole life, is it's very much intertwined with Lorcan slash Shaw. Yeah. Well, we can give a little bit of, like, I'll, I'll give some of the broader context. So, obviously, you're, you're looking at um, early, early First Era. The Elysian Order's established, and so the Elysian Empire, they're hyperzealous. They've got this whole idea of the One, um, and they spread this to sort of all corners of, of their reach, right? And High King Borgus was one that was very, very into the Elysian Order stuff. And he completely sort of got rid of any Nordic pantheon stuff to bring in his uh, Elysian zealotry, essentially, to Skyrim. Um, and as we have talked about previously, especially in the Bosmer episode, um, King Borgus was killed by the Wild Hunt. And following King Borgus's death, we end up with a war of succession. And during this war of succession, Skyrim's empire starts crumbling. The Nords are driven out of Morrowind. There's lots of stuff um, going on. But then there is a end of the War of Succession in 420, and Olaf One-Eye is crowned king, High King of Skyrim. Um, and then so the little dynasty goes on for a bit. We get to Kyorik the White and um, his son, Hoag Merkiller. And these were two fellas that were fighting with the Clovian Estates and Rizlav Larik and a bunch of other guys against the Elysian Order once again and their expansion. But... We do get Izmir Wolfarth come into the picture and afterwards, after um, Hoag Merkula, but by the way, Hoag Merkula in the uh, sermons of Avec um, is also referred to as Hoaga, Mouth of Mud, and he was like chewing up the ground and like, I think I was making like mud zombie kind of things. It was cool. He sounds way more demonic in that. But basically we get to Izmir Wolfarth and he is like the truest of true Nords in vibe. He's, he reinstates the um, Nordic pantheon um, and gets rid of any Elysian bullshit. And then he basically, um, he's also known to be a really powerful thumb user. So much so that he had to be sworn into office um, with like scribing. He couldn't like say the whatever words. He couldn't, he couldn't say it with the kind of heroicism that it would need. I think he could whisper it, but then it wouldn't sound too strong. So it was scribed. Yeah. So it all, it all is, uh, that all got scribed. The other thing just to throw out there, and this is only like sort of a more so retroactive thing from the times of Skyrim. In Skyrim, um, it's Jarl Bulgruf's brother, I think it is, mentions previous Dragonborns such as King Wolfarth. And that's the line that 
So we haven't heard of, because you know, Dragonborn as sort of this like outside of the Septum Dynasty concept wasn't really a thing until the time of Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Like that game added a whole bunch of new lore. So retroactively, they've mentioned that Wolfarth was a Dragonborn um, as well, which would also explain, I guess, why he was such a powerful Thumb user. And, I, I, and not just that, he can learn to use the Thumb incredibly easily, kind of like the Dragonborn. Yeah. Like his ability to just watch what happens um, in one of the songs of Pelennor when the ghost of Aldorn is fighting and kind of just teach himself a dragon shout to kind of reverse age. Oh, and there's the, the quote here um, too is, the shadow of King Borgus had ended for a span. For his zealotry, King Wolfarth was called Shaw's Tongue and Izmir, Dragon of the North. So that's the explanation for two of his nicknames. And you may know that um, Izmir gets, as in Dragon of the North, is a title that others have had, such as the sort of, Tiber Septum Talosi. We'll, we'll get into that. And then also the last yeah. Dragonborn. Um, so essentially, I guess, like a Dragonborn almost title, kind of. But Izmir. So a few great Nordic heroes. And Dragon of the North, meaning, I guess, originally from at Mora, right? Yeah. Like Dragon of at Mora or something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. I guess we can move on to Kain's song. That basically covers... Because there's the five songs of songs of wolf wolf yeah and that basically covers shaw's tongue yeah um so he then goes on to fight the eastern orcs yeah um and basically destroy their chief by supposedly shouting them into hell um which i think is pretty cool or shouting them into oblivion yeah and then he does a bunch of other stuff like rebuild i don't know why that's significant rebuild the 418th step of high hrothgar like that's a massive deal but it's got to be put in there. Well, it had been damaged by a dragon and supposedly swallowed a thundercloud to keep his army from catching cold. And so he was called the Breath of Kine. I have a feeling that that, I mean, it could be true, but it could just be like a clear skies shout. Like he shouts and the clouds kind of disappear. And it's like, it kind of looks like he swallowed it. It's cooler if he swallowed yeah, it. Yeah, I love, I love so much more the, the way that the... 36 lessons describes them with the thorn and the thumb sounds like this really otherworldly cool power and the idea in here too it's in the same sort of tone as swallowing a thundercloud sounds way more epic than just clear skies <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah but um what's relevant there too is got he got the name um breath of kine which is also a name that was used for morahouse as well um the, the, the demigod man bull son of kine so um interesting yeah. little Kind plays. Remember, guys, if you if you're not familiar, it's probably we should probably establish this now for those who need a quick jog of the memory. But um, Shaw is the equivalent to Lorcan or Shazar in the Imperial Pantheon, and Shaw is like the big chieftain of the Nordic Pantheon. But he was killed um, in the war against the Elven gods, and then he resides in Sovngarde, um, and he's you know accruing uh, soldiers and, and so on. But Kine is the wife of Shaw, well, now widow of Shaw. So Kine plays a really important part in Nordic mythology, unlike the Kinnereth of, say, like Cyrodiil. It's just like, oh, yeah, one of the divines. But the importance in um, Kine's very, very important. And also, Kine was the one who was said to have taught the... Um, the the nords the thorm now and breathe them onto the throat of the world in the first place exactly yeah like literally giving them life in their mythology and then lay later law like from the time of skyrim tells them says that uh that parthenax taught nords the thorm and i guess 
the cope is afterwards is that like you know kine taught you know instructed parthenax to do so and showed him another way to teach them or a combination of both it doesn't really matter all too much with, I suppose we could. Oh, what were you gonna say? I mean, I was gonna say that with like with that context, it's like any anytime you you get Pelinor as well as Wolfhalf get kind of lumped into this um, this title of Shezarine. You know, the idea of it's kind of like an an aspect of Shaw, Shezar, or Lorcan, however you want to see it. And that's why these figures are always really anti mer So you know, we're gonna get to it soon, but. Um, you know, you don't normally associate the heart of Lorcan. You're thinking about the the relationship between the um, the Dwemer and the Kaima. But if you imagine that, you know, Shaw had his heart ripped out by the by one of the Elven gods, who happens to be the god of orcs now, Trinamak or Malakath, um, the heart of Lorcan is really important to the Nords, just as well as orcs being an enemy of Nords. Not is not just a ge- geographical thing. It's like elves and orcs being against nords is very much like ingrained in their deep mythology yeah uh, one other thing to quickly mention just because you brought up um Pelinor, and i think in previous episodes someone was talking about remembering certain names like hans the fox and harold harry breeks were other um, names that Pelinor had gone through um in like previous times the Merethic era um, but Izmir is another one of Pelinal's names that he also used, which is just a little interesting mm. connection. But I guess we could actually read from the Five Songs of Wolfarth and read the Old Knocker section because it, it is quite a nice text. And I think it's a shame to just kind of paraphrase it when it's just written so nicely. Go for it. Um, the third song of King Wolfarth tells of his death. Orkay, an enemy god. And I will just interject and say Orkay is like this... Um, antithetical kind of god of loans that's always a thorn in the Nord's side. Um, so Orkay, an enemy god, had always tried to ruin the Nords, even in Atmora, where he stole their years away. Seeing the strength of King Wolfhearth, Orkay summoned the ghost of Alduin, Time Eater, again. Nearly every Nord was eaten down to six years old. Boy Wolfhearth pleaded to Shaw, the dead chieftain of the gods, to help his people. Shaw's own ghost then fought the Time Eater on the spirit plane, as he did at the beginning of time, and he won, and Orkay's folk, folk, the Orcs, were ruined. As Boy Wolfhearth watched the battle in the sky, he learned a new thumb. What happens when you shake the dragon just so? He used this new magic to change his people back to normal. In his haste to save so many, though, he shook too many years out of himself. He grew older than the Greybeards and died. The flames of his pyre were said to have reached the hearth of Kine itself. Mm. So basically all the Nords get turned into children, including Wolfarth. But then, and this is another reason I was kind of hinting at earlier about him potentially being dragonborn, is he was able to not only use the thumb well, but teach himself a new shout just by watching Alduin mm. in, the, in the sky. And then I say reverse age, but he's re-aging, I guess, all the Nords and himself, but himself too far. Yeah. And then dies. It's an interesting connection there too with like, you know, what happens when you shake the dragon just so, you know, somewhat referring to the time god like Akatosh or in their case like Alduin or whatnot, but all the same sort of, you know what I mean, like Akka or or whatnot. But um, how that like, it's interesting like that they also used, you know, the ghost of Alduin to eat down the the age of the Nords. It's sort of, it seems like, you know, it's all related to time essentially like time and dragons yeah. are connected power but orky 2 or orkay or whatever i guess that would make more sense too is interesting because he's um 
He's the one represented by the snake, but is thought to be a combination of Malakath and Arke. So like aspects mm. of both, which you don't really get too often with Daedra and Adra aspects mixed into sort of one interpretation, um, yeah. which is interesting. That is interesting, isn't it? I can't think and of I another mean, example, but I feel like there could be. Maybe, but I can't think of it off the top of my head either. Mm. But I can is, think of I can think of Adra kind of mixed together, but not Adra and a Daedra. I do also love so that like this curse was also thrown onto the nearby orcs, which explains what cuts their lifespan down to men. Yes, because orcs were said to have lived long, kind of like elves did, mm. which makes sense. But they, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool. Mm. And one of the most interesting things about Wolfarth is. No matter how much he dies, he seems to return. Yeah. So the next song of Palinor, oh, sorry, of Wolfarth, is uh, The Ash King. Drew, would you like to read The Ash King? Everyone loves Drew's voice. Give me the longest one. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there's going to be a lot to unpack with this one, yeah. so we'll, to speak. We'll unpack it afterwards. We'll unpack it. All right. The fourth song of King Wolfarth tells of his rebirth. The dwarves and devils, so... Kaima, of the eastern kingdoms had started to fight again, and the Nords hoped they might reclaim their ancient holdings there because of it. They planned an attack, but then gave up, knowing that they had no strong king to lead them. Then in walked the Devil of Dagoth, who swore he came in peace. Moreover, he told the Nords a wondrous thing. He knew where the heart of Shore was. Long ago, the chief of the gods had been killed by elven giants. So, you know, Trinomac ripping out his heart, and Oriel fastening on his bow um and they ripped out shaw's heart and used it as a standard to strike fear into the nords this worked until isgramor shouted some sense and the nords fought back again knowing that they were going to lose eventually the elven giants hid the heart of shaw so that the nords might never have their god back but here was the devil of dagoth with good news the dwarves and devils of the eastern kingdom had his heart and this was the reason for their recent unrest the Nords asked the Devil of Dagoth why he might betray his country Merso, and he said that the Devils have betrayed each other since the beginning of time, and this was so, and so the Nords believed him. The tongue sung Shaw's ghost into the world again. Shaw gathered an army as he did of old, and then he sucked in the long-strewn ashes of King Wolfhalf and remade him, for he needed a good general. But the Devil of Dagoth petitioned to be that general too, and he pointed out his role as the blessed harbinger of this holy war. So Shaw had two generals, the Ash King and the Devil of Dagoth, and he marched on the Eastern Kingdoms with all the sons of Skyrim. Yeah. Mm. Nicely done. So I guess just to quickly point out a few things, that say, so the tongues, if people don't know, that is basically Thorm users, like ancient, powerful Nordic Thorm users, so the tongues in that regard. And obviously, like, Ash King, there's this recurring theme of him going to Ashes, like, after the old Knocker, comes back alive and he comes back alive a few times throughout history so this is why he's called the ash king um but yeah so this this is all related to the war of the first council so this is when the the dwemer and the kaima so indor and erevar and dumak dwarf king are at odds um they don't like the profane misuse of the heart of lorcan and they get in a fight about it and like we said remember there was the big nordic empire that spread over morrowind so the nords were like oh this is sweet let's try and retake it while they're in civil strife uh, and then that's the short of what's happening here but it's interesting because this story um pulls dagoth into it quite a bit and his involvement with the nords and as he was the one coming to the nords and like you mentioned earlier drew the 
about the heart of Lorcan being, a, you know, it's going to be super significant to them because essentially to them, it's the heart of Shaw, like I said. So, of course, they would love to revive the chieftain of their own pantheon and the... You know. It's weird seeing yeah. Dagoff's involvement like this. It's like he really was playing every side. If this is to believe, to to be believed, it's you know yeah. he's a cheeky one. It's it is interesting that they can just sing Shaw's ghost into the world as well. Mm. Like if we really need to, we can do it. And they decided it was worth it. Then I, I do find um, the thorn and tongues and stuff interesting in the sense of I always wonder what happens when they just speak normal sentences, like yeah. just sends everyone flying or something <laughs> i assume the default is fusrodar right like a kind of unrelenting force shout or something yeah well it's in well they wouldn't just speak and turn everyone to ice for example well that's the thing i guess it's once again the old law versus new like the older law made it seem yeah. sort of vague thing like wolfarth had to be bound the graybeards like you kind of get a little bit of it you know how the three of the graybeards don't speak unless they're doing the big you know the only one you speak to is Aaron Gear, or I forgot his main. The, the can't main can't you just go and speak to them? I think they stay mute the entire time, unless during the big chance they'll say the dragon language stuff. But um, um, yeah, um, I don't know about that. I feel like I can just remember going and trying to talk to one of From, them, and they just say a line or something. I think maybe they don't. Maybe uh, yeah, I don't think they do. It could be a created memory. It, it's been a long Mandela time since effect. I've been... <laughs> Look, High Hrothgar, when you've played Skyrim so many times, is a place you tend to try and get in and out of yeah. <laughs> as quick as you possibly can. Because it's it, it's Skyrim that kind of pushes the idea that using the form using the, the the tongues like the tongues using the form is is speaking the dragon language is yeah. is that always yeah. yeah that's just sky before yeah. it was just a power from kind basically that was unique yeah. to the nords so that will help anyone if you're looking at law check if it comes from before the time of skyrim if it's from before the time of skyrim it's written as if it was unrelated to the dragons mm. Post Skyrim, it's obviously all like the dragon language now. So yeah, let's see what they do with sword singers, eh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's have a look. But um, I guess we could move on to Red Mountain. Mm -hmm. So well, I guess just to catch them up to speed, as much as we read the Ash King song, um, Shaw's ghost comes into the world, and then he basically remakes King Wolfarth. Yeah. Um. So Wolfarth's back in the game. Yeah. Um. So Red Mountain. Oh, and also just to give it a little extra, uh, extra this is truth. just to see where you're at in the timeline. This is around year 700 of the first era. where this So 200 battle. years approximately yeah. after um, so, the first song. Yeah, Wolfarth goes down at 533. Um, so then, yeah, then uh, All right. just under 200 Red years. Mountain. The fifth song of King Wolfarth is sad. The survivors of the... The survivors of the disaster. <laughs> <laughs> ah man, um, the survivors of the disaster came back under a red sky. That year is called Sun's Death. The devil of Dagoth had tricked the Nords, for the heart of Shaw was not in the Eastern Kingdoms and had never been there at all. As soon as Shaw's army had got to Red Mountain, all the devils and dwarves fell upon them. Their sorcerers lifted the mountain and threw it onto Shaw, trapping him underneath Red Mountain until the end of time. They slaughtered the sons of Skyrim, but not before King Wolfharth killed King Dumalakath, the dwarf orc, and doomed his people. Then Vec, the devil, blasted the Ash King into hell, and it was over. Later, Kine lifted the ashes of the ashes of Izmir into the sky, saving him from hell and showing her sons the color of blood when it is brought by betrayal. And the Nords will never trust another devil again. 
I like how that's the nice little like to while or never trust Dunmer and also the hatred and so on. It's built into their mythology and why they think they're all you know little liars. I should have had Drew read that one. But <laughs> my so, tongue got tired. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be a good thumb user, would I? Wouldn't be good at it. The, there's a few areas where this kind of gets unusual because it's even in this text, it's not the only description of what exactly happened there, but. I mean, I remember we brought it up in the last episode in on the Iceberg um, podcast that um, it's, it is it is weird that he's referred to as King Dumalakath, the Dwarf Orc, because associating dwarves with orcs is kind of unusual. And I, I guess there's, there's there may be more evidence to support it. But like the way I interpret that a lot of the times is just um, orcs kind of being a general term that... Um, that Nords might use sometimes to just state their enemies. And this Jumak especially, well, I mean, it's more Kagranak, but the dwarves in general, they have this obsession with the heart of Lorcan. And, you know, Trinamak is the one that ripped it out in the first place and stole it. And now the dwarves kind of covered it and they, they guard it jealously. And it's well, like, I wonder if the Nords back then did associate them with orcs purely because they were hoarding his heart. But what do you think um, about Dumalakath then? Like, because that's like clearly it's like d- combination of Dumak and Malakath put into one. Like, because that's like I, attributing I it to that, a certain god. I, yeah, I guess it's just the fact that he's. I mean, like, unless we're unless there's some theories about him, him somehow like Dumak actually being somewhat like Malakath. It to me, it's more of a, a situation of like he's the leader of the Dwemer and the Dwemer stole Shaw's heart. So I, I, I don't know, but I mean that the you know it's it's hardly it hardly answers the question. The, yeah, the only thing too is because if question? you go if you go to the fourth song too, it does say they say the dwarves and the devils of the eastern kingdoms. Like they make the distinction between the Kaima and yeah. Dwemer. So they didn't call them like orcs and the devils. And they do refer it's... to eastern orcs in the second song too. So it's it's a, it is a strange one because they do like do, they they obviously know the three distinctions between the three, you know, uh, mm. types. So. Maybe Dumak was half orc. Perhaps it's 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 really odd. But then again, I mean, they have their mythology. Maybe does like to boil things down and simplify it a bit. Like in Orki being a combination of Malakath and um, Arke. Maybe maybe it's another sort of example of that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, like it, it's it's a bit of a stretch. But in the real world, like you know, orc means something very specific now. But if you know, if you take it all the way back to Old English. It means like, you know, a, a specter or a devil or, you know, something, something kind of like gross and evil, like a devouring monster. That, so maybe, maybe orc is used in a more like a, what's the word, like a less defined way in these times with the, the old Nords. Well, but Well, here's, here's an interesting connection for you. Malakath has Volandrong as his artifact. Mm. Mm, true well what if, has, imagine yeah. this imagine but here we go let, let, let's work with this a little bit let's imagine you know we've got you, you got malakath whose origin story is basically let, let's just say you know eaten and defeated by boethia shut out and turned into malakath so you got trinamac becoming malakath obviously he wouldn't be too fond of of that and who did that to him um Imagine if he, if this Dumak Dwarf King or Dumalakath Dwarf King maybe is some form of like, not possessed or even is him, but maybe if it is like a sort of Malakath figure, maybe Malakath had something to do with the dwarves or, or even driving them to fight 
the Chimer and so on. Like maybe somehow Malakath interfered um, because he would have reason to do so to get yeah. revenge on the the people that would follow Veloth, if that makes sense. I feel like well, we've we've only started humoring this theory recently, and there's already like you can, we can find connections. So this could be like a big video soon. Look, here's something I will say, which is kind of interesting as well. The five songs does say this Nerevar is the son of Boethia, one of the strongest Patamaics. Um, and that's down the bottom section there, um, which is interesting because later on Boethia, sorry, Boethia has dueled with Trinamak and mated Malakath, but the interactions of Nerevar and Jumak mm. later. Mm. Yeah. Like, it- it, it, there's some just some weird tie-ins, isn't there? Yeah, it's a, it has to kind of be fleshed out. And it's going to get a little bit more confusing in a second because there's basically this secret song of, of Wolfarth Ash King which talks about the truth at Red Mountain. So what you just read, that fifth song, is basically according to... The five songs, right? Yeah. And then there's the secret yeah. song, which... Do you want me to... I'll read it. So the... So, the truth at Red Mountain, the heart of Shaw was in Resdane, as Dagothur had promised. As Shaw's armies approached the westernmost bank of the inner sea, they stared across at Red Mountain, where the Duomeri armies had gathered. News from the scouts reported that the Chimeri forces had just left Narsus, and that they were taking their time joining their cousins against the Nords. Dagothur said that the tribunal had betrayed their king's trust, that they sent Dagothur to Lorcan, for that is what they called Shaw in Resdane, so that the god might wreak vengeance on the dwarves for their hubris, that Nerevar's peace with the Dwemer would be the ruin of the Velothi way. This was the reason for the slow muster, Dagothur said. Hmm. So, th- I mean, we do know the heart of Shaw was in Resdane. Yeah, so this is, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And, um, Fact. And Dagothur said the tribunal had betrayed their king's trust. So it's, it seems that at this point, this positions Dagothur being aware of the tribunal's betrayal. And they sent Dagothur to Lorcan. But this, it, it goes further. So do you want to keep reading or do you want to... Anything else to unpack? <laughs> well, I'll just quickly for those who don't know, um, like Narcissus's position from Vardenfell. Narcissus is like on the mainland, like down... Um, in kind of the middle of the curve. So it's quite far south yeah. of the island. So the army's... I mean, gr- sorry, sorry, wait, on. one, one yeah, thing to add there, <laughs> which it's like, you know, if, if you're... This is getting into some like heavy conjecture, but if you're looking at Nerevar as the son of Boethia and then Jew Malakath, so essentially like a um, a meeting of Malakath and Boethia, and you've got um, Nerevar's peace with the Dwemer would, would be the ruin of the Velofi Way and the foundation of the Velofi Way is Boethia and the other good Daedra telling everyone about Trinomax lies and saying, no, don't listen to this guy. This is the way we do things. And, you know, Malakath is is the remnants of Trinomax. So I guess it is the antithesis of the Velofi way, as we're kind of hinting at, but it, it does kind of make more and more sense as you think about it. But yeah, yeah go on. Yeah, good stuff. Um, So the armies grow and... And Lorcan, I uh, won't keep going saying what they, they called Lorcan Shaw. So, and Lorcan said, I do not wreak vengeance on the dwarves for the reasons that the tribunal believe might believe I do. Nevertheless, it is true that they will die by my hand and any whoever should side with them. Um, that was the end of the sentence. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I was reading as if it was going on. This Nerevar is the son of Boethia, one of the strongest Padomaics. He is a hero... 
He is a hero to his people despite his tribunal, and he shall muster enough that this battle will be harder going still. We will need more than what we have. And so Dagoth Ur, who wanted the dwarves as dead as the tribunal did, went to Kogoran and summoned his house Chapthil, his Nixhounds, his wizards, his archers, his stolen men of brass. And that's like animunculi, like Dwemer animunculi. Um, and the Ash King Wolfarth, Hori Izmir, went and made peace with the orcs in spite of his Nordic blood. And they brought many warriors, but no wizards at all. Many Nords could not bring themselves to ally with their traditional enemies, even in the face of Red Mountain. They were close to desertion. Then Wolfarth said, Don't you see where you really are? Do you, don't you know who Shaw really is? Don't you know what this war is? And they looked from the king to the god to the devils and orcs, and some knew, really knew, and they were the ones that stayed. Oh. So what did they really know? <laughs> Well, um, I think it's all, basically it's all referencing the kind of, kind of like what Shaw, Shaw being Lorcan, the kind of the importance, like it's the biggest metaphysical war, I guess there. Like, for example, it's far beyond their, this like moment here um, is far beyond just, oh, I don't like orcs and, and elves and so on. Like, this is really about, like, I, I. But didn't, but didn't they know that? Or I guess not, because Dagothur obviously didn't get up and speak to every single Nord and say, hey, the heart of Shaw's over here. Yeah, well, let's just, let's just clarify again, um, this again. So we've got the, it's basically, you've got Team Nerevar with, you know, Shaw and, um, and Wolfarth alongside the Sixth House, um, basically following Dagothur, and then he's got his whole house. Um, and then Wolfarth also went and made peace with the orcs, bringing them into the fold. So it seems to be uh, Chimer and Dwemer versus... Or I'm sorry, Chimer and Dwemer versus Nords, um, orcs, Sixth House... And yeah, like sure, and like so, yeah. It's a, it's a fun. This is some Avengers Endgame like yeah stuff, this... isn't it? It's all the all the members are there for the final battle. Yeah, but there's God. So so let, let's like break down each philosophy of each one. So we we kind of know where like Dagotha uh, stands somewhat, but let's put the simplest ones then. We've got Nords and Pro Shore Group and Wolfarth Group. Then you've also got. Um, orcs, orcs being, um, they would be like, you know, pro Malakath, and so they wouldn't be have a favorable opi- opinion, I guess, of what happened to them as, you know, at the hands of Boethia or so on. They would be anti Boethia somewhat, and the followers, right? Mm-hmm. A- and then I guess, um, and you've got the sixth house. He's got his uh, little fingies dipped in, <laughs> dipped in a lot of pies. But I, I his milk fingers. Yeah. Yeah, but like I guess at the end of the day, you know, however you look at who's like the allegiances to any side, the side that Wolfarth and the Nords are fighting on is the side that's not going to be tampering with the heart of Shaw. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, it can boil down to that, that regardless of who survives and who hates who, protecting Shaw's heart is the fundamental, most important goal. Yeah, everything else is secondary. Well, because the ultimate goal here, and I guess the importance that Izmir is trying to pull you know, tell the other Nords is like, this is kind of their chance to rebuild or revive Shaw and let them have ultimate dominance, dominance over the world. Cause that's the only reason they've, you know, it's cause Shaw's hearts, though it gets kind of weird when you consider like Shaw's hearts built or Lorcan's hearts built to sustain the world and his death. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of, 
Because let's not go into that part. Like, but let's let's read the doom drum. Yeah. So, Nerevar carried Keening, a dagger made of the sound of the shadow of the moons. His champions were Dumak, Dwarf King, who carried a hammer of divine mass, and Alandro Sul, who was the immortal son of Azura and wore the wraith mail. They met Lorcan at the last battle of Red Mountain. Lorcan had his heart again, but he had long been from it and he needed time. Wolfarth met Saul but could not strike him, and he fell from grievous wounds, but not before shouting Saul blind. Dagoth Ur met Dumak and slew him, but not before Sunder struck his lord's heart. Naravar turned away from Lorcan and struck down Dagoth Ur in rage, but he took a mortal wound from Lorcan in turn. But Naravar feigned the death that was coming early, and so struck Lorcan with surprise on his side. The heart had been made solid by Sunder's tuning blow, and Keening could now cut it out. And it was cut out, and Lorcan was defeated, and the whole ordeal was thought over. Hmm. This is very uh, strange too. When you kind of it, it it reads like the end of a Shakespeare where this person killed that person and this one that one and you're not sure exactly. It'd be easier with a video, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, it, a visual depiction of it. So all. you got Nerevar with Keening, one of the tools of Kagranak. So this is instead of the whole Red Mountain ideas, the classical ideas where you've got like. Um, Kagranak using all of the tools by himself, right? You've kind of got the dwarves here and the Kaima in an alliance together, and they're all kind of using the tools. So you've got Nerevar's got Keening, Dumak Dwarf King, the Hammer of Divine Mass being Sunder, and Alandra uh, Sul, who is um, Nerevar's shield companion, or I forgot the exact phrasing, um, Wraith Male being Wraith Guard, the other component. So they're each wielding one of the three tools, which are, you know, used to the Kagranak design to manipulate the heart. Um, but Lorcan, it seemed that they've, that they'd got to the heart and Lorcan has got his heart again. So it's all there. And Lorcan's kind of there ready to fight, but he needed time. He's still like kind of recovering. And this is when you have Wolfarth and Dagothur sort of fighting alongside Lorcan against, it's weird because they're kind of trying to stop Nerevar and stuff. You seemingly want to chop the heart, but it's odd because I'm more inclined to believe like the Kaima view of things when it kind of, you know what I mean? The classical Red Mountain stories where you have... I was pretty much going to say that, that like this is an interesting interpretation, but I don't think this would be how it all happened. It's too, it's too crazy. Like the, the idea that, um, you know, th- this is like right, this is in the heart chamber at the center of the Citadel. It's going to be the last place for a big battle it's like if the nords are pushing it would be a big deal if they made it that deep into mm. they, 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 at that point they're pretty much going to win the war if they've made it all the way all the way there i i imagine that they got stopped um and kagranak was kind of a, alone in the um in the heart chamber or you know practically alone when he did it i i personally buy into that more but this kind of builds up that mythos of wolf half that you know you you could say that if he's just kind of a shadow of of Shaw himself, then he's kind of there because the heart of Lorcan's there without actually necessarily being there in person, like mm. metaphorically speaking. But it but, also yeah. seems weird that Nerevar would be opposed, I guess, to Lorcan inherently or something. Like not like for example, I can imagine him like like he said he didn't want to tamper with the heart, but mm. I wouldn't necessarily him being anti Lorcan. Do you know what I mean? Especially since Boethia, for example, speaks so favorably of Lorcan. Like, I can imagine Boethia mm. would be very pro Lorcan coming back because, you know, professed love for him and stuff before. Like, what, 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 what is interesting? You know, yeah. uh, the betrayal was, of Nerevar at the hands of the tribunal is because he didn't want them to 
to attune the heart. Mm. Mm. I was just wondering who wrote the secret song because it's it it's written quite differently to the first five, almost like someone else added it added it on. Yeah. Like for example, Lorcan. Lorcan is only mentioned after the secret song. Like it's always like sure um before that. Yeah, it like everything is sure, sure, sure. I guess, I guess it still F. seems like it's written by a Nord, just in the way they go. And then it goes Lorcan because they say Lorcan for what is that? That for that is what they called Shore and Resdane. So that's kind of like clar- there's like that clarif- yeah. fa- clarification. It's still interesting though that it suddenly, it does just feel like uh, something changed, like different, different person. Just yeah. wrote this. Actually, here's what happened. Well, plus it it also does say at the very top. It says, you know, underneath the five songs of King Wolfheart, it says a summary of five summary. epic songs plus an apocryphal song. So, you know, can't really rely yeah. on it. Now, the other basically. thing to throw out here is there is the idea that with the striking of the heart, um, and you know, kind of the birth of the Numidium, really, um where when the dwarves all disappeared and everything, that there was this, it's called often cited as like the red moment, which is this big dragon break, which opens the potential for this to be true and other stories Mm. to be true as well. All, you know, and then they all get kind of, you know, the Jills, I guess, come and fix it up and make it into a normal timeline again afterwards. But you're reconciling contradictory um, series of events and so on. But I'm not 100% sold on it. Um, mm. And I feel like this is the only way it really like gets any credence. I mean, this is this is the thing about Wolfarth, and he's involved in so many things that don't have clear answers, mm. and so it's very easy to feel confused about it because it is there, there's no this is the correct answer. Everyone's got their own theory about it. I mean, there's the Arcturian Heresy, which is another text which talks about Wolfarth and says all kinds of other things. Um, well, and you know, it's all magic as well. It's not like as easy as just talking about a single mortal person because, well, he di- he dies again and comes back. And if we believe that Vivek or Vec shouted him into ash again, and then his ashes were carried away, there's then an epilogue section basically where Wolfarth comes stumbling out of Red Mountains to Earthquakes and a land on fire, which is Sun's death, as you were saying, um, and then turns into ashes again yeah well (laughs) and the winds take him back to skyrim yeah well it's interesting there that like vec the devil being there so that's kind of more coinciding with the 36 lessons um interpretation of the whole thing so where you know there is a divine being like vec as in like he was there like at this time if you were just following the um uh you know chronological timeline Vivek, like as in a powerful god or anything, doesn't really exist at this point because it's after the events that he, you know, achieves apotheosis with the whole like using the heart of Lorcan. However, in the 36 lessons, it's told that, you know, he was born from like, you know, Nechman's wife and is thrown into the sea of dregs and impregnated, all that kind of weird stuff that brings upon this divine creation of Vec. Unless it is just referring to him as, as a... Uh, like just a powerful guy that beat Wolfarth, but I just don't really think Vivek pre God would be that powerful. I don't that could beat Wolfarth. Like you're blasting the Ash King into and into by hell they often mean just it's like oblivion in the same way they're using devil for um Kaima. But um 
Yeah. So anyway, what we can do is we can leave off the end of this story anyway, where Kine lifts the ashes of Izmir into the sky, saves him from oblivion, and then, you know, brings him back to a, to a good place. He's in good hands, right? So now we, we've, left, we've left that part of the story. Um, and the big next piece we get to, and I guess this is what a lot of people... T- well, actually, not the, we're not up to the Arcturian heresy yet because we do have... About 2,700 yeah. years later... Yeah. In the events of ESO, so Second Era, 580-ish era, we've got the you know the the second invasion, second Akaviri invasion, where Wolfhalf is summoned once again. You know to to <laughs> so that's a big. It's like it almost seems like he's a personification of any struggles that involve Nords. Um, yeah, where you can almost like conveniently, the plot continues without him a lot of the times, but he's just there representing their spirit. But I can give um, you the. Sorry, if you want to... No, no, go on. I was just saying, so, you know, you've got um, the Durkamal guy the, that was coming in with the Akaviri invasion. He just basically blows through um, Windhelm and Joran Skull King, who wasn't king um, at this time, but he basically tried to um, stop the Akaviri and get revenge and so on. But he goes up to, to the Greybeards and I'll read this, this, uh, this passage. Um, wounded and devastated, Joran barely escaped the sack of Windhelm alive. Feeling for the first time the responsibility of his royal birth, he decided to appeal the Greybeards for aid, and so made his way stealthily but quickly to High Rothgar. For reasons that had not been divulged, the Greybeards decided to teach the Skald Prince a thum, one that summons a hero from Sovngarde to fight for the tongue who uses it. But in Joran's voice, the thum became a royal call of valor, and the summoned hero was none other than Wolfarth the Ash King. So, and then together with Wolfarth, um, they go off and then this is where they're chasing the Akaviri army and then they chase it into, um, into Morrowind and, you know, Argonian shellbacks show up, all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> and the Ebonheart Pact is made. But basically, once the Akaviri line was broken and they were driven into the sea where they drowned by the thousands, the Ash King, his purpose fulfilled, returned to Sovngarde and in realm, and then later, you know, Joran is um, crowned king three weeks later. So that was the Ash King. He showed up again, but that's about it. Like, there's nothing too much more to talk about him here. And I guess then you move into the stories from the Arcturian Heresy, which is a very controversial book. Which um, even, it, I, I think Kirkbride has even said... so much stuff. I think Kirkbride's well, even said it's his least favorite of his writings. I looked, I looked into that a bit more, actually, and it seemed to me that he actually likes the content of the book. And when he said it was his worst, he means like just the style of writing. Because if right, you read okay. it, it's it's actually. I mean, like me personally, I'm not a massive fan of of reading it. Hmm. It it seems to be like lots of extremely small sentences. Like, um, with his god destroyed, Wolfarth finds it hard to keep his form. He staggers out of Red Mountain to the battlefield beyond. The world has shaken, and all of Morrowind is made of fire. A strong gale picks up and blows his ashes back to sky it's like cramming tons it's like that of info it's that constantly um, well it, which is very effective to get a lot of information across it's almost like a when you read a character bio versus a backstory you know if people want to know the the conventional idea obviously is that there's this talos of atmora there's this powerful nord character who becomes general talos to king kulakane um who was uniting the clovian estates and, you know, he used his thorn to blow down the gates at Senkator and all kinds of cool stuff. So he's this powerful thorn 
user, right? And he goes on to become Tiber Septim, and then because he's so great, he ascends to become Talos as a god among the divines. Now, that's the conventional tale that, like, you know, the Temple of Divines would tell you, or any Nord would tell you. But the Arcturian heresy is essentially the idea that it's it's basically there's multiple people responsible for all of these grand events. So, Hjolti Earlybeard was a Breton from the island of Eclair, is it? Or Alcair? Or Alcair? Alcair. Alcair. Um, and, you know, he went, wanted to, you know, get busy. And he was, he, you know, joined up with Kane. But basically, the idea is that he got access to Izmir and basically resurrected and could control, somewhat control Izmir and use him as. The you know all of the shout feats that you see done like him blowing down the gates of Sankator and all of this crazy cool stuff is actually attributed in in the reality of the Arcturian heresy is it was Yzmir um, Wolfarth doing it the ghost of Yzmir Wolfarth doing it under the control of like Kjalti Earlybeard and then there's also another powerful Imperial battle mage called Zurin Arctus there and the idea is that more or less these three beings make up Talos like a divine oversoul rather than it just being this like apotheosis of of Tiber Septum. So it's in, in that's why it is called a heresy because it is very heretical to 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 say to especially to a Nord that Talos of Atmora is uh-oh. <laughs> We've lost Michael, but do go on. <laughs> there you go, he's back. That's all right. I just zero stomped. You good? Yeah. Yeah. The Talos of Atmora um, is in fact a a Breton who also uh, you know abused and took credit for um, Izmir Wolfarth's um, powers and feats and you know and then obviously we know the bits and pieces around like you know him him organizing the assass- assassination of King Kulkane and slitting his own throat so you know to take eyes away from him so it looks like he was just collateral in there but then he you know became king and Tiber Septum eventually an emperor and started the third empire but then there is this there is this undead entity called the underking which is a big part of the daggerfall storyline and he uh he's been running around and and doing the fair like bits and pieces throughout throughout the third era throughout the septum dynasty and obviously daggerfall is like much much later like 400 years into the or something around that um into the Septum Dynasty, but the Underking is a figure of great debate because there are people, then there are sources that can basically be used to construct the story that oh, the Underking is Zurin Arctus, and then there is ones that construct the story to say that he is Izmir Wolfarth, and then there's some that kind of do the ones which feels a little sillier to me, I don't know, just on vibes, that, that there are actually both of them at different times, and, and it kind of gets a little contrived. I will, Michael, you sent this picture before, and I'll put it up. And it's kind of uh, not, it's not quite a Venn diagram, but it's a... Three, three pairs in Talos. The, so it's got the Underking, and it's got, you know, Color over Izmir and Zorin, Mantala over Hjolti and Zorin, Tiber Septum with Hjolti and Izmir, and Talos with all three. Yeah, so you can kind of understand the concept. So like Underking being both Izmir and Zorin there, like, or speculated to be either. And, you know... If you combine Izmir and Hjolti, you get the Talos storm crown with the big shouts and all of that kind of stuff that makes him seem so grand. And then obviously... I might I might need some more clarification on the Mantella one. Yeah. The, having Hjolti there. Well, I'm, I, I'm not seeing the, the image at the moment, but like uh, the, the Mantella story gets a bit interesting. It's kind of... I feel like that is the moment where things... Re- they like 
who is who really starts to become hazy because you know you've got you've got um Tiber Septim who signs the armistice with um with Morrowind to you know to be at peace but they also take the Numidium but they don't have a heart of Lorcan to to power it so they come up with this idea well Zuranarctus comes up with this idea of creating a Mantella which is essentially like a you know a god tier soul gem basically and it kind of relies on the idea that Wolfarth is uh, as we said at the start like a Shezarine an, an aspect of Shaw so that theoretically if you power it with um with Wolfarth then you've got kind of like a heart of Lorcan, mm. but the and way that, that's why the diagram confuses me because it's it hasn't got Izmir in the red circle when it says the Mantella but like I agree with what you're saying mm. see I, I almost think like whether it's whether you consider <laughs> it Bjolti or Tiber Septim but I, th- this doesn't quite make sense but I almost feel like he is like absolutely entwined in what goes on here as well like the idea that ba- well basically you've got you know Zuranarctus turns the the mantella as like a giant soul gem on on wolf half and sucks up his soul or whatever it does but at the same time um wolf half kills zuranarctos by arctus by like stabbing him through the chest essentially and then you've got tiber septim who just stumbles in on it and kind of like tries to play it off as some heresy or so you know some moment of um of you know betrayal but i feel like you know the fact that you've got these three kind of like transcending into the same god that at this moment all of them were essentially one and the un- wh- who the underking is who tiber septim is and what's powering the mantella is all a mishmash at this point that none of it really makes sense and it's all like well i've i've heard the theory that um zuranarctus and wolfarth or ismir's soul went into the mantella in that moment it's a theory well and the I- but the- i feel like the idea that tiber septim would be a v- away from that to me at least kind of almost doesn't make sense because i feel like it relies on the three of them being crammed together to essentially make the god well that's why because originally there's there's also the idea that um basically when he was using tiber septum was using the numidium to uh you know basically you know with the siege of alan or basically nuke somerset and so on at the same time he was killing off use that dragon break to kill lots of royal families off that weren't 100 percent loyal to tiber septum and zurin arctus had a big disagreement and there was something like when basically Tiber Septum killed Zuranarctus in there. There was a big fight, a conflict there, which I don't know exactly how that stacks up. I mean, to me, I like that that kind of motivation. Just, just I like Tiber Septum as a really lying, conniving, like get mm. what he wants, going from Hjolti early build, beard, building himself up to this Tiber Septum. Well, even taking on this um, Nordic or at Morin kind of name like Talos. Yeah. It's not his name, but then there, but there is that we- the crowds will like it. There's that weird thing too, where Talos isn't really a god until after the miracle of peace, and it kind of retroactively kind of becomes a god in the way that because it relied on because I think it was that uh, so whether it is Izmir or Zurin Soul or whatnot in the Mantella, they had to get the man you get had to get the Mantella in Daggerfall. Um, I can't remember. Do you destroy it or? or whatever happens with it, but basically that only after that and the Numidium is activated again, does the soul of Izmir or Zurin, whoever's in the Mantella, gets out and united so that it can become part of this Talos Oversoul. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, where that's Talos is created. Well. Right, and, okay. But then so retroactively, Talos has kind of like always existed. And then that's when the jungle kind of stuff happens and gets kind of contrived yeah. and silly. Because that's but. the idea of the Underking anyway, is that, 
and why people aren't sure who it is. It's just the idea that the Underking wants to reclaim his heart from the Mantella so that he can finally die. Yeah. Mm. I'm more inclined to... Uh, I don't know. I kind of... <laughs> I, I'm inclined to believe Zurin more so. It's that it's Zurin. But then again, it, it makes more sense that Izmir's heart or power or soul or whatever is in the Mantella because, you know, him being um, associated with Shaw and, you know, could be Shazarine or, or whatnot. But... You know, uh, yeah, it, get, it gets complicated, but and there's cool theories. But ultimately, the good thing about this is all you need to know is that Talos exists. Um, and Hjolti Olybid did some shady stuff Take to get that, there. Thalmor. Talos exists. <laughs> Talos is real. But um, yeah, outside of that, surprisingly, uh, he doesn't really appear in the stories again. Izmir Wolfarth as a character. Like, he's not really relevant to the rest of history going forward. But mm. ultimately, he's, if you know, in, in a bite-sized little chunk, he was this super powerful tongue who became High King of Skyrim, brought back the Nordic Pantheon, did lots of cool mythological feats. When he died, he was revived again multiple times to help the Nords out and um, until he was abused and put in a gem, I guess, and, <laughs> and then sort of became part... Well, I guess he can't really come back again eh? because he's part of the Talos Oversoul mm. really now so it, it, I should mention which is what I was um, going to say before it was said that when Wolfarth's soul was transferring to the Mantella so if Zurin tricked him and put a soul trap spell on him and then he was killed um, that the actual soul transferring to the Mantella tore a hole through Arctus's chest killing him mm. yeah yeah that's from the Arcturian heresy. So, yeah. Well, there you go. That's what happened to <laughs> Izmir Wolfarth. Is one third of Talos, and that's about. That's about it. That's about it. He, he's a he's he's a goner. <laughs> that's what Izmir Wolfarth is. But yeah, I, I don't know if there is anything else to uh to actually say on him. Um. Yeah, very mythological figure. Hmm. And I guess he will. I think he was the first reference of Izmir, like with the title Dragon of North, but yeah, um, Dragon of the North. But yeah, Tiber Septum gets that title. And I guess that kind of makes sense since Izmir was doing all of the things anyway. But it is, it is funny when you look at um, one of Kirk Bride's writings, because obviously they, you know, they say um, Wolfarth is a Shazarine, mm. like a avatar of Shaw. And there, it kind of starts spelling. Oh, does it spell Lorcan? Doesn't it's like Wolfarth L Hjolti yeah. O Izmir R Talos K. But hold on, where are these letters coming from? <laughs> yeah, was this in a? Where was this written down by Copra? Was it just like a forum? Yeah, it was just like a, an answer to a question Probably. in a forum, right? So anyway, it starts. It starts spelling out Lorcan, and it kind of looked like an acrostic poem until I realized that none of the letters. <laughs> are actually like the first letter of their names mm. yeah. anyway it looks like there's space for one more mm. well oh, yeah he's an interesting character I, I think that pretty much gets the the gist of it for Izmir Wolfarth right. yeah well thanks everyone for watching we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time to nerd out with some more Elder Scrolls <laughs>